the spray, you know, just sprinkling your face, your hair, your arms. It's just exhilarating. And it's so beautiful to look across that kind of an expanse of water. It's like the peace just seeps into your soul and you breathe deeper and you feel the sun on your face and you just want to hug it. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 97, Breaking Free to a Spirit of Adventure with Paula Moldenhauer. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a fun show for you today. And it's a special show to me. I'll tell you why in just a couple of minutes. But today is about breaking free to a spirit of adventure. And it's targeting people who uh, have gotten caught up in life, whatever that may be. We'll get more details on that. Who now have an opportunity to try to learn to be more adventurous and about how that can benefit their lives. And our guest today is Paula Moldenhauer author of multiple fiction books and over 300 non-fiction works. Paula is a professional speaker, a mom of four, and there's a secret about Paula that we're going to fill you in on just a little bit later. So, Paula, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure to be here, Curtis. Paula, take a few minutes to tell our listeners about yourself and what you mean by breaking free to a spirit of adventure. I think my core passion in life has increasingly become how can I break free of the boxes that hold me back. A self-proclaimed perfectionist, I've been constantly hard on myself and having a hard time just stepping into the freedom to be completely me without monitoring all of that. But in this journey, there was a piece that I neglected for many years while I was doing all kinds of inner discovery and wonderful works, and that was the outer me, the me that wanted to be active and enjoy adventure, and that me I just kind of shoved down into the back corner while I raised my four kids and focused on writing and sedentary activities. You know, I do know a bit about your story. And I'm going to spill the beans here to the audience. You raised four kids, four wonderful kids. And like so many Americans, um, life got really, really busy. And you got a little out of shape. And adventure sports got more and more difficult. And you had some real physical limitations to getting out there and having fun. But you pulled it off. You came back around again. So tell us what that was about. I gained at least 55 pounds that my body had no right to carry. And, you know, it sneaks up sometimes two or three pounds a year. After our fourth child, I didn't quite lose all my weight, got sort of back. But then, as with so many moms, life snowballs and other things become more important, you think, than taking care of yourself. And about two, well, it was 2012, um, I was writing with a fellow author. We were going to a book signing engagement in Colorado Springs. I'm from the Denver area. And I looked at her and I said, oh, something good's about to happen. I just feel it. And she looked at me funny. My phone immediately rang. My husband called and he said, hey, 
honey, I just heard about this new weight loss program that's very nutritionally based and they're looking for people to test it on. Can I put your name in? And that was the beginning of an adventure of losing weight. But what's interesting I'd like to throw in here is when you become more sedentary, more homebound, more focused in a very small arena, it's not just a physical loss of adventure. You lose your spirit of dreaming about doing new things. There is an emotional loss in your spirit of adventure, too. And I, at some point in this conversation, I'd like to talk about that, too. Okay, and I can, I can definitely add to that. Whenever we work in a cube at an office or we confine our world to small spaces, I think whether we intend to or not, we start to think small and we begin to see our world is limited to those confines. And when we get out and we become physically active, we stretch our bodies, we challenge ourselves to do things we haven't done before, then it wakes us up to a whole new world of opportunities. I think we start thinking bigger thoughts, and it's healthy all the way around. A little bit of risk wakes us up and says, hey, life is real again, and it gets us out of the cube or the house or the whatever small thinkingness that we may have adopted into our lives. So you lost weight, and then what happened? Well, part of my weight loss included needing to be physically active. And in effort to do this, I started walking. And at first, seriously, a couple of blocks around my little um, neighborhood, just barely past this cul-de-sac, was about what I could do. And what was interesting, looking back from where I am now, is I was held back not only by my physical limitations because I had not been active, I was also held back by something in my my mind or my spirit that was used to being exactly what you were just talking about, confined. Um, most of where I went, I either had children or a husband or a friend with me. So even in the car, I was very rarely alone. I worked from home. I've written several books. That takes time. I was in my little office in that closed space. And I found initially my husband was walking with me, and that gave me courage to get out and walk. But when his schedule changed and he wasn't available to even walk through my own neighborhood where I've lived for 26 years now, I was afraid to walk alone at first. So I even had to overcome just being alone in my own neighborhood where everything was extremely familiar to get my butt out the door and get some exercise. You know, I've said on the show a few times that for some people, an adventure is just simply walking around the block. That's what you're talking about. You're you're actually, we're having adventures just by walking out your front door. I'm just kind of shocked, but that's true. And as I gained courage, and it took a few times of starting and stopping, of learning, I can walk alone, and then my husband's schedule would change, we'd walk together again, then he wouldn't be available, and I'd have to do it alone again. And eventually, I got very comfortable walking in my neighborhood, and then that got boring, and I started walking all kinds of new places. I remember calling my brother on the phone one time, walking home from the doctor's office. So you, you adopted walking as a part of your lifestyle? Absolutely. You know, just last Friday, we ran a show by Liz Thomas, who's a thru-hiker, who's hiked the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail. And that Triple Crown experience is amazing. She set records hiking those. But you know what she's doing a lot of now is what she calls urban hiking. She's urban thru-hiking. 
And so she's doing what you're doing. And she was just talking about all of the benefits that she gets by hiking in cities and using the feet instead of the car. What a better way to get into shape and to experience the world around you in a new way. So I think that that's adventurous. It certainly was for me. Lately, you started doing a little bit of adventure travel, and you started doing bigger adventures, adventures that a lot of people would say, well, that's more like the adventure I had in mind. So tell us a little bit about those. Well, last summer, my best friend from college and I took a few days alone in Steamboat, and it was you know, not overly adventurous. We had a beautiful condo and we spent a lot of time sipping wine or or hot tea or hot coffee and chatting as old friends do. And we would walk around the town and try to get our exercise that way. And we did, you know, some minimal hikes in the area other than just around town. But toward the end of her time there, uh, she still had a few days before she had to fly back home. Initially, we were going to come back to our home here in Denver and just hang here but we began to dream. So we're talking to mamas. She's got three boys. I've got three boys and a girl. And we had both been kind of cloistered. And now we're adventuring. And I was just messing around on the internet. And I said, oh, did you know that Dinosaur National Monument's not very far from here? And she said, are you saying that I could drive like two and a half hours and see dinosaur bones? And I said, yes, you can. (laughs) And then I said, ooh, there's whitewater rafting nearby. Are you saying that if we went to Dinosaur National Monument, we could also go whitewater rafting? And I said, yes, I am. Wow, whitewater rafting, somewhere near Dinosaur National Monument. So what was that like? I mean, that's pretty adventurous for someone who's been sedentary for, what, 20 years? Yeah, probably about that long. Uh, You know, it was just a delightful day. We went through a canyon. So on either side, there are tall walls and incredible scenery. Um... We were trained beforehand. If someone falls out of the boat when we hit a rapids area, you got to turn your paddle around the back way so they can grab the handle and not be trying to grab the paddle where they'll just slip off and pull them into the boat. And it actually happened. Uh, We we had a young um, man and his dad on the front of of the boat. And we hit a, a rapid area, and it just knocked this kid, this teenager. He didn't weigh that much just into the water and kept calm and I kept cool and I turned my paddle around the other way. His dad freaked out and handed him the wrong end of the paddle, which he couldn't grab on. But of course, it wasn't my child, so I had a little more calm, turned the paddle around. He grabbed the handle. We pulled him back in the boat. I wasn't quite strong enough to pull him completely, so by that point, our guide was there helping me lift him back into the boat. Um, It was an incredible day, to be honest with you. It was toward the end of the season, and I really wished we had more white water water areas because there's nothing like the exhilaration of feeling that raft just go up in the water and lift up in the front and then dive back down in the front and I could have used a little more than we had that day you know the amount of water that goes through in a river and it's just shocking the difference between the beginning of the season when the snow melt is coming toward the till the end of the season when the snow melt is no longer pushing through and so I was there at a more low water time, and but it was still beautiful, even the quiet periods, um, the bird calls and, and the wildlife and the peace of the experience. It was just amazing. So coming from the perspective of someone who had not done a lot of adventure, this was a pretty big adventure for you. On a scale of one to five, five being radical adventure and one being, oh, this is a nice introduction. 
Um, where would you put this as far as the fear factor is concerned? Whitewater rafting. I think I was so ready for the adventure. That it would just be like a three. I wasn't really that afraid. I was just so excited to get to do it. And maybe if we had been earlier in the season, that fear factor would have gone up to a four or five. Uh, it's a great way for people to start who are just discovering their spirit of adventure because there's a lot of instruction. You have on all of the equipment, the life vests, and all of those things to keep you safe. You have a guide with you, and so you're not just taking off on your own. Like when we were in that kayak a year later, even though we were with a group, we were alone in that boat controlling it completely by ourselves. So I maybe had more fear about that than in a situation where I had a trained guide. Okay, so you would recommend whitewater rafting as a fun way for people to try an adventure a little bit of a stretch absolutely just enough stretch to make you breathe and not enough to knock you off your socks unless it's early in the season and i mean you need to pay attention to that how high is that river and if you have a high fear factor maybe wait a month or two Okay, well, really cool. Another thing that's great about about whitewater rafting is that you can do it almost anywhere that there's a mountain state. You know, people do it in West Virginia, throughout the Appalachians, the Smokies. People do it all over Colorado, Utah. I mean, if you're in a mountainous state, then you can almost almost always find a uh, a whitewater rafting guide business somewhere where you could go do a half-day trip or something. So, hey, people, give it a shot. What I'd like to do next is the week-long or three-day-long trip where you go with your guide, you camp beside the river, they cook you steak at night, so they take good care of you, but I'd like to do an extended trip next. So then you went on from your whitewater rafting to Arches National Park, and that is a pretty darn cool place. What is Arches like? You know, that was, again, that spirit of adventure that just looked at a map and said, oh, if we throw in another hour or so driving, we can end up here. And we went on our last day at the last moment that we could do it. And we ended up there at the perfect time of day. We got there early enough to do some hikes. If you take the time in arches, uh, you can actually climb up. You could, Well, even a short trip, you can walk up into these massive arches that tower stories above you but they're not just big rocks they're not rocks with a dip in them they're rocks with holes in them so there's rocks on top and bottom and surrounding and it's incredibly beautiful even a short trip you can do that we stayed long enough to do some longer hikes and one of the long hikes we were in was pretty intense at the beginning of it it makes a big deal about how much water you're carrying we thought we had enough we should have taken probably twice what we did um, as we climbed, it was incredibly hot. It's the hot desert. We're climbing, we're climbing, we're going vertical. Um, we're getting very tired. And at one point, we had come around this huge rock face, and we decided just to sit down. Uh, my friend was getting a headache probably from some dehydration and, and too much sun on an, and a strenuous climb. We were exhausted, and a guy comes by, and he just looks at us. He said, now, ladies, do you know that you're just around the corner from what you're trying to do? <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, really? So we stood up and walked literally around the corner of the ledge we were sitting on to see this amazing arch suspended over this bowl of rock and we stood first at kind of there's a 
almost like a little rock fence. I, it's natural, so I don't know how to really describe it as a fence. But we stood on the other side of that and took pictures. And there were other people walking down to the arch. And to do that, first of all, there's a hole in the middle of this rock bowl. So you're having to be sure that you're not getting too close to the middle of this bowl. And to get to the arch itself, you're on a cliff. You're looking out on a sheer drop of hundreds and hundreds of feet. Wow. And so, you know, it's a tourist thing. Lots of people are doing this, but I hesitated at first. And my friend was shaking her head like, uh-uh, not doing it. And finally, I just thought, this is crazy. I worked this hard to get here. Who knows when I'm coming back? I'm going to touch that arch. And so I walked out past the bowl, and I walked underneath the arch where I can look up and see the top of it. And I just looked back at my friend, and I said, this is not as scary as it looks. you got to do it. And she came down and and enjoyed it with me. And I'm surrounded by people of all languages. Um, there was a jo- jovial Irishman making all kinds of wisecracks and jokes. There was other languages being spoke around me. And all of us were standing in this unity to enjoy this amazing work of art that was totally Mother Nature's hand. Yeah, that's really cool. Arches is uh, an amazing place. How many arches are there there? I don't remember, but it's a lot. You know, I wish I could remember. I'm not pulling them up. There's everything from teeny tiny little ones to massive, you know, bigger than building arches. And it's just incredible. And there's all kinds of different places that you can hike some easy access, some more difficult, like the climb I just talked about, um, to access these arches and see them. Mm, Very cool. It's always been amazing to me that in such a, a small area... Nature would have all the right elements to make all these arches. I mean, there are arches all over the world if you go looking for them, but it's usually one, a arch, somewhere, right? But in Arches National Park, there are a lot of arches of all shapes and sizes. It's just the right amount of wind, sand, sandstone, you know, and it all works out. Yes, and if you do go to Arches, I would highly recommend that that phone is charged if that's where your camera is or if you have a good camera that you have it. We stayed long enough and took enough pictures that my friend was pulling out her tablet because her phone ran out of juice. And what was incredible is we kind of pushed till the last minute, and I'm so glad that we did, even though it meant I was still driving back home about 1 o'clock in the morning. But we watched the sunset. And if you've not been in a desert sunset, especially where you're surrounded in every direction from all different shapes of rock walls and in the distance, uh, a desert floor and in the distance, hills and in the far distance, mountains, there is nothing like the colors that you see at sunset. I was absolutely blown away as minute by minute The landscape changed. It changed from, you know, orange to peach to lilac. And the shadows changed. And everything looked different two or three minutes later. And I just could hardly pull myself away from the natural beauty there. (laughs) That's cool. I'm glad you were describing the colors because I don't know lilac from peach from orange. But it sounds like fruit to me. (laughs) I forgot. As, As a writer, we're always taught, you know, to use... Just very straightforward color words for men. <laughs> yeah. How about, you know, it was kind of sandstone colored, and then it got darker, and then the sun hit it, and it kind of lit up. Well, that's close. We'll say there's blue, there's orange. <laughs> <laughs> okay, got it. Cool. Well, that sounds like a really fun time. 
Absolutely. Again, that spirit of adventure that just said, hey, here's a place on the map. Let's go a little farther than we intended. If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu. For 20 years, Bent Gate Mountaineering has been outfitting climbers, skiers, backpackers, and outdoor enthusiasts with the gear they need. Whether climbing an 8,000-meter peak or buying your first backcountry ski setup, Bent Gate is here to help. Bent Gate is continuing to offer free BC 101 sessions this winter, teaching backcountry ski boot and binding setup, avi safety and beacon practice, clothing systems, and tips and tricks to make your days more enjoyable. If you don't own the gear, Bent Gate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment. Bent Gate also has free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a chance for hands-on experience. Be sure to check bentgate.com for our full product selection as well as updates on all these events. Why would you encourage people to find their own adventures? It sounds like you've kind of entered a new phase of life now. Kids are grown. You lost, what do you say, 60 pounds? Oh, 55. 55. Okay, 55 pounds. You uh, have started hiking, whitewater rafting, some adventure travel. Why would you encourage people to break free and find their adventure? As we step out of our own little space where we've been secure and into the bigger world, it opens up our mind, it opens up our energy. By nature, I think I am an adventurous person. I get teased. Uh, one of my best friends says, you know, we go to the swimming pool, I put my toes in, and you just jump in the whole way. But there were ways that I haven't been doing that. And I, I really believe what I've been doing with breaking through physically and doing some adventure travel and just changing some mindset to a more adventuresome spirit. It's not only nurtured me as a person and grown me emotionally and spiritually and mentally, it's also, I think, given me more courage to try new things in my career and to dream bigger. So there's some of you out there listening who are already very, very adventurous. I mean, our show has had some crazy adventurous people, um, people that have walked around the world, many people that have climbed Everest, um, lots of people that have motorcycled or biked around the world, people that skydive or, you know, that we even had an astronaut on that, you know, has been in space several times. I know that there are a lot of you that are very adventurous, but there are others out there who are dreaming of adventure. And that's why I wanted to have the show today, because Paula Moldenhauer is a good example of how to get started being adventurous. And I hope that you find that encouraging. And those of you who are already adventurous, I know you have friends who maybe are looking for a way to get back into a more active lifestyle with more adventure. So make sure that you recommend this podcast to them. 
because maybe they'll find a little bit of encouragement there too. So you recently took another big adventurous trip and you did some other adventures. What was that about? Uh, The same friend that came to visit last summer, we went to Minnesota to Lake Superior to the North Shore area, which I'd never been there before. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. It's so beautiful. And one thing that blew me away about that location is it seems like there's so many different environments pressed together. And you go to the shore and you see one kind of vegetation. You experience one kind of climate with the wind. Uh, You walk across highway 12 and you hit lake superior trail and it's a whole different feel there were moments i felt like i was looking at my beloved colorado mountains there were moments that i felt more like i was in the foothills of the ozarks where i grew up and there are moments that really is that a lake it looks like an ocean so um that was just incredible just to experience the beauty of this place but we also did some really cool things the lake superior trail if I remember correctly, is 140 miles, perhaps. It starts down by um, Duluth and goes all the way to the Canadian border. We hiked about 10 miles of that, which um, maybe someday I'll be a through hiker. If somebody will just carry my backpack and bring me food, I think I could do it. <laughs> but we had a great time. We uh, included some hiking along the shore as well as through the mountains of that area. And actually hiking along the shore we thought would be the most fun. It was the most difficult because um, you have all of these small, round, water-brushed rocks that are beautiful, um, but they're very plenteous, and it's on top of sand. And so every step you take, you're sinking down like sand, but you're also pushing out of heavy rocks. And so it was actually more tiring than the altitude climbing or um, those kinds of things that we did on the trail that was through the mountains. Um, The other really fun thing we did there that I could not wait to do is we did sea kayaking on Lake Superior. And honestly, I was a little disappointed in that. Probably the most threatening part of that adventure was figuring out how to get on a wetsuit. (laughs) <laughs> so putting on the wetsuit was the most adventurous part. Well, tell us about sea kayaking, though. I mean, that sounds really fun. We have not yet done an episode on just the, the stillwater kayaking. We've done canoeing. We actually just finished an episode where a gentleman described kayaking across the Atlantic a couple of times. But what's it like to just go sea kayaking on Lake Superior? It was actually one of my very favorite things I've ever done, and my friend also said she could do it for days. It was just delightful. The sea kayaks are very well weighted, so um, I had visions of the whitewater kayaking that I've seen in this area and being afraid of rolling and that kind of thing, but sea kayaks are very stable. Uh, my friend was in the back, in the front with a paddle. I was in the back with a paddle, and also in the back there are levers um, to turn the rudder. So not only are you relying on your paddling to turn your kayak the direction you want to go, but you can also turn your rudder. And so we just took off. We were with a group from the resort where we were staying. So it was a pretty controlled environment. But you're out there on this expanse that really feels like an ocean. In places, it's as deep as an ocean. And the spray of the paddles is you know, just sprinkling your face, your hair, your arms. 
it's just exhilarating. And it's so beautiful to look across that kind of an expanse of water. It's like the peace just seeps into your soul and you breathe deeper and you feel the sun on your face and you just want to hug it. <laughs> you know, I have to contrast that with the years and years spent raising four great kids and also writing in a confined office space in a basement. And while that has been the mission of your life, that's very confined. And so when I envision that, and then I contrast that with the sea kayak, the open expanse, you know, the mist coming off the paddle and splashing you in the face and the fresh air and seeing things you've never seen before, doing things you've never done before, experiencing the world in a whole new way. I mean, wow, that's a difference, right? That right there is a good enough reason to break free and find your own adventure. Absolutely. And you've got me choked up there, Curtis. I'm having a hard time not crying because seriously, um, getting my life back, getting my body back, experiencing the outdoors again in ways I wasn't able to for many years, it's, it's a gift. It's a sheer gift and one of the best things that's happened to me in recent years. Well, I'm excited about it. I think it might be time for us to share our secret. Paula Moldenhauer is my sister. <laughs> and a lucky woman I am. And so I do know a lot about her, but I think that her story really is encouraging. And I wanted uh, you, the listeners, to get the opportunity to hear about what it's like to shed those 55 pounds and to get out there and have some fun after so many years of not doing those things. So, well, Paula, can you tell us about some books or projects that you have in the works or any special events that are coming up? I have two books available on Amazon.com right now. One is called Titanic Legacy of Betrayal. I co-authored it with one of my best friends, Kathleen E. Kovac, and it's a contemporary story with a historical frame. I very carefully researched the story of the Titanic, and our contemporary heroine has something that happened on the Titanic that's still generations later sort of controlling her life and she doesn't understand that until she receives a visit from a lawyer. A visit from a lawyer. So what kind of a book is this? Would you call this a, a adventure adventure book, a romance book? I mean, what are we talking about? Well, our contemporary heroine uh, definitely has her romance. It's probably uh, more of a women's fiction with a little bit of a mystery attached to it. But I'm surprised I've had some really great reviews from male readers. So if you're a history buff, I think uh, there's enough good history there to carry you through the romance parts. So I heard romance and history, but I didn't hear adventure, adventure. Well, I think if you're on the Titanic, you've got to have an adventurous spirit, don't you? <laughs> Definitely. There's some adventure there. I did read the book, and it is well-written. I very much enjoyed it. And uh, for all of you out there that would like a, a fun read that is historically accurate but yet entertaining, and and uh, I'll, just, I'll just leave it there, but it, it's a really good read, so you might want to check that out. What's that called? Titanic Legacy of Betrayal, and if I could tell you a funny story to go with that. All right. 
I was writing away and I had been immersed for days in the research on the Titanic and we all know how tragically it ends. And of course, I had fallen in love with some characters um, who actually lived, who were going to die because they actually died. And as I'm writing and working through, I'm just fighting not to cry. And my husband says, honey, why don't you call your co-author? Maybe she can kind of help you through the deep struggle of writing about something so tragic. Well, my friend happened to pop in uh, to drop something off here at the house, and I answered the door, and I'm like, oh, Kathy, this just hurts so much. And she just kind of tossed her head. She was writing the contemporary story, and she goes, well, our heroine just got her first hug from her hero. <laughs> And so she just kind of was light. She made me laugh, but she says I, that she got her paybacks when she was reading what I wrote later. So she had to take her turn to grieve what happened on the Titanic. But it's just funny, the minds of, of writers and how we get caught up in the emotions of what we're doing. So you said that there were two books, and that's one of them. What was the other book? The other book is a collection of novellas. It's called Postmark Christmas. And my story is the last in the collection, and it actually was nominated for a fairly prestigious award from the environment that I come from. It's called a Carol Award, and I was really honored for my first traditionally published book to get that kind of attention. Oh, that's fun. So that's a novella. So four different authors, four different stories under, and what was the name of that again? Uh, The name of the collection is Postmark Christmas. It's based on, there's really a town, Christmas, Florida, and there really was a woman who worked as the postmaster who uh, would have to hire or, or actually bring in volunteers from the community because so many people wanted their Christmas cards stamped Postmark Christmas. And that's where the idea came from. And my character in the fourth book is sort of a fictional rendition of this woman. And she's falls in love with a retired cop who dresses up like Grinch. So it's a total fun story. And it's my story is called You're a Charmer, Mr. Grinch. Okay. Paula also does a lot of blogging and her life has been dedicated to helping people to live a larger life, to uh, reach beyond their status quo and to do more. And so if you're interested, you can find more information at paulamoldenhauer.com. And uh, Paula has done a lot of faith-based works as well, and you can learn more about that too. Yeah, my most recent project is speaking engagements based on the book that I'm writing right now, which is called Five Keys to Breaking Free and Gaining Momentum. And I'm really excited about this because I see it as a culmination of many years of learning to just break free of the boxes that hem us in so we can live in joy and in freedom. So you said it was called Five Keys to Breaking Free and Gaining Momentum. Well, that that sounds pretty adventurous. What is the target of that book? The target of that book is to identify some specific ways that life holds us back and how to break out of that so we can be the most authentic us, the most youest you, as Dr. Seuss would say, that we can be. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. So when is this book going to be out? The target date at this point is by the end of the year. Okay. Well, let us know when the book comes out, and we'll make sure that our listeners are updated so that they know that they can find it. And it just sounds awesome. So you are also breaking out into the world 
of professional speaking. What's that about? Well, obviously, I like to talk. <laughs> You've been listening to it this whole time in your whole life, <laughs> I think. Um, I have a real passion for just sharing any way and any way that I can the wonderful things that I've learned that have healed some deep places in my life that have propelled me forward to follow my dreams and that I hope will make an impact on this world that I live in. And I think that's what most people want. They want to have the freedom to be who they are and they want to make a difference. And so it's really my life work just to help them get there. Neat. Back to this idea of breaking free to a more adventurous life. Do you have any tips or tricks for our listeners to help people to maybe follow in your footsteps a little bit? Absolutely. I think the first one we already said, which is if you are sedentary or spending most of your time in a closed space, get outside. Walk around the block if that's all you can do the first day. Go outside and sit under the stars for a while. Get out of your space into the larger world. That would be my first thing. Another thing that I really learned through weight loss, which surprised me and has become one of my most valuable, treasured pieces of life, is just learning to live in each moment that you're in. Learning to be present where we are. Instead of constantly letting our mind go a million different places, being on our phone, all the time, connected to some electronic, can we be present in the moment and find the joy in that moment? And you mentioned a lot of my work is faith-based. For many years, I prayed for joy. And honestly, I got kind of mad at God because it seemed like I was praying for joy and life was just sending me trial after trial after trial. And As I was trying to work my way out of that, I read 1,000 Gifts, which was a New York Times bestselling book, and in that, the author encouraged people, write down three things a day you're grateful for. So I went to my kids and said, I know you guys mostly hang in the basement, but may I please take Sharpies and white right on the hallway walls? And they thought it was kind of weird at first and didn't really say yes. So I asked repeatedly until they said yes. I don't know. Maybe that's it. So isn't this a mental condition, scribbling all over the walls? (laughs) What are you talking about? Were you five? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I made them not write on the walls. Now I'm asking for permission to write on the walls. My daughter did it with lipstick. No, I wanted to write the things I was grateful for in bright colored Sharpies on my hallway so I didn't forget. And it was an incredible exercise in joy because as I was looking for what am I going to write down that I was grateful for today, I began to really savor the moments and the things in life that are the most precious. The belly laugh of my teenager, the taste of pomegranates, how it feels to feel the rain lightly falling on your cheeks, Uh, a cool breeze on a hot day. It was amazing to me how much joy life offers, the fragrance of a rose that I was rushing past, or even if I wasn't rushing past, just allowing the hardships of life to pound me down and pound me down and keep my focus, whereas um, I could refocus and find so much joy. And I've always been a journaler and I'm not a diary keeper. I don't write daily, but, you know, once in a while I'd sit down and fill, you know, pages and pages in a journal. The same thing started happening on my walls. I I didn't quite get around to every day. You're supposed to write a thousand things in a year. It took me a year and a half. 
But what I found is when I would feel life pressing in and closing me in too much, I'd go down with my Sharpies and I'd start writing. And I might write 15 or 20 or 30 things that I remembered since the last time I wrote that were precious. And then I started understanding how beautiful my life was. Wow. You know, in a lot of our podcasts, people have mentioned the idea of being present in the moment on their adventures or just in daily life like you're talking about. And I think it's important to not just think about the summit of the mountain. You have to enjoy the climb. You have to enjoy the, each step along the way and how the views change, how the ecosystems change, and and how you experience so many different things along the way. It's not always about the summit. Matter of fact, the best climbers we've had on the show have been really quick to say, don't get summit fever, and be willing to, to turn around and try another day because that's how we really succeed in life. We do get turned around a lot. But if you're enjoying the hike, then the summit doesn't distract you from the present time. And I think it makes all of adventure a lot more fun. It's not always just about the goal. It's about the experience. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. It's Tim Emmett. I'm a professional climber and wingsuit pilot. I really enjoy public speaking, and I've spoken at schools, events, and businesses all over the world. I believe that you can change the way you feel by changing what you think about and using lessons learned from a world in extreme sports. If you're looking for someone lively to brighten up your event, and maybe expand your concept of possibility, send me an email to tim at timemmet.com. That's T-I-M at T-I-M-E-M-M-E-T-T dot C-O-M. Thanks a lot. nothing like standing on the top of a 14er. I did that. I fell in love with my husband climbing a 14er together. uh, And I know what it feels like to be up there at the top. And those moments, you can't take anything away from them, but they're not the everyday moments. And being present on the journey is really, I think, where joy comes from. Wow. Good words. Good words. So what is one of the coolest things that you've done? You know, this is totally kind of off track, I guess, from my first, my mind went to the whitewater rafting or my husband and I for our anniversary this year did a hike that I hadn't been able to do for about six years. It was a hiking up to some waterfalls, hanging lake near Grand Junction area. It's absolutely gorgeous. All those things filled my mind. And then I was like, oh, 
But really, one of my greatest adventures happened right here in my neighborhood. And what happened there, it takes courage. It took a spirit of adventure in a different way than I've been talking about. I had been walking around the neighborhood, and as I walked past this one house for several days, I had this tug on my spirit that said, take them some food. Whoa. So you're walking by a house and take them some food. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so it was crazy, and I kept ignoring it, because who wants to knock on somebody's door and say, hey, I brought you food, is that okay? I just felt really weird. Um, But then the message kept coming, and it came from some outside venues as well, so finally one day, I knocked on the door of a perfect stranger about a mile from my house, and I said, you know, this is really weird, and I'm sorry if it's out of line, but I've been walking by your house, and I really feel like God said, you guys need food. Can I can I bring you some food? And the woman started crying. <laughs> and she had been praying that morning for food for her family. She had had her daughter had gone through divorce. She's now moved back in with mom. She was feeding all of these grandkids. And she was feeling overwhelmed trying to just provide for this new larger family that she was suddenly in charge of. And... Uh, It took a lot of adventure in me to knock on the door. That was the very hardest part of the adventure, but the reward was so great. And I know that those kind of really cool things only happen because God deems them so, and he sees, and he loves, and he cares. But I think it's an example of how much bigger the world is and how much more we have to offer the world when we just step into a new place when we are, are adventurous in our spirit to try something that feels totally uncomfortable out of our comfort zone and maybe even a little crazy. That is an amazing story. Let me sum that up a little bit. You started walking around your neighborhood and that was a big adventure. That was hard for you at first. And then your walks expanded and you started going more and more places and longer, longer distances and all over the city walking. And as your world got bigger, you started experiencing things in a different way. As you opened up, then you felt this strange attraction to this house that they needed food. How how bizarre is that? And they did, and you gained a new friend, and they gained the support that they really needed at that time. That would not have happened had you been sitting in your basement writing or staying in your house. But because you got out there and started experiencing a bigger world, then you got to have a life experience that is frankly remarkable kind of bizarre actually so i can't stop from thinking about how your your four kids got to watch you go from someone who really just wasn't able to do much adventure to now a mom that's going out and doing adventure travel sea kayaking whitewater kayaking hiking experiencing life on a much bigger level what do your kids think about all this oh man one of the most convicting things that ever has happened to me in my whole life is I had lost maybe 30 pounds and uh, my daughter at the time was a cosmetologist. I went in for a hair appointment and she posted a Facebook. I hadn't told anyone I was trying to lose weight yet. I was too vulnerable, not ready to share my secret. She posted to Facebook about, wow, you should see my mom. For my whole life, I've watched her care about her inner self and finding freedom on the inside, but she never thought about the outside. And she walked in today with a big smile, and she's 30 pounds lighter, and I'm just so proud of her. I 
I can't believe how wonderful it is to see her caring about her body too. And oh, it was a beautiful thing. It was a little embarrassing, but it was sort of a stab in the heart too to think that that is part of what I had been teaching by my behavior was a more sedentary, less adventurous lifestyle, at least from the physical perspective. And so my kids are incredibly proud of me. I have resisted my oldest son's numerous attempts for him to take over my conditioning. He was a high-level hockey player, and I still don't even want him near me when it comes to setting up my exercise agenda. But they're so proud of me, and I feel so good about offering to them this focus on the whole person and the benefits, um, and I believe they're physical and they're mental and they're spiritual and they're emotional. Every part of you benefits when you are more active and more adventurous. And now I'm just really joyful to pass that on to them. And uh, it's fun to see them adventuring. You've had our oldest daughter on your show. She did an adventure travel piece um, as she served the women and children in Afghanistan. You've had our middle son on your show who is now getting an adventure ed degree and has uh, done all kinds of high alpine hiking. And it's just so delightful to see the kids stepping into their own adventures. Oh, yeah, I was going to say you have adventurous kids for sure. And your youngest son, he and I have been on winter camping trips and a lot of backpacking uh, your middle son and I have been um, on a lot of backpacking trips together. And like you said, now he's making a, a life's career out of teaching others how to have adventures in, in nature. And I think that's awesome. So you definitely passed on this adventurous spirit to your kids. And what a gift to give. Right on. Good for you. I can't let you get away with that because... I believe that you and Jerry, my husband, both had so much to do with pouring into the kids their love of adventure, their love of nature, their courage to try new things. And I just want to say thank you publicly for what you've poured into the lives of my children. And they're all better people, Curtis, because of the adventures you took them on. <laughs> well, thanks for that. But you know what? It was just so much fun to hang out with my niece and nephews. And so um, no thanks necessary. It's just awesome to get out there and have fun with people you care about. So, you know, I say it every single show. It's all about getting out there and having some fun. And that can come on all sorts of different levels. So do you have a funny story for us? I have a funny story from when I had gained maybe about half of my weight. I was still trying to do some things, but not doing them very well. And it actually is a story that includes you. Our families and a family friend, we all went camping at the sand dunes. I don't know if you remember this. And you and our friend, uh, the father of the other family, were obviously very active and in shape. And you took off climbing to the top of the sand dunes. And you got to the top, and our friend Larry says to you, um, Well, we can go on down. There's no way Paula's going to make it up here. And you looked at him, and you said, Larry, you don't know my sister and you don't know my brother-in-law. Jerry knows exactly the words to say to encourage her forward. And my sister doesn't like to stop when she starts something. 
I don't know how long you waited on the top of that sand dune, but exactly what you said was going on, and my husband had my hand, and he was taking steps into that sand and making a step that I could step into so that even in my reduced condition, I could get to the top of that sand dune. Now, I wouldn't even have tried it a few years later, but that's such a treasured memory for me. A, the way you spoke identity into me, that I don't give up, but also how true it was that I had a man who would walk alongside of me and help clear the way so I could reach my goal. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, it's not just a sand dune, so the listeners know this is the Great Sand Dunes National Park, and these sand dunes are over 10,000 feet high. So when we're talking about climbing some dunes, we're not talking about a pile of sand on the beach here. We're talking about thousands of vertical feet of shifting sand, very, very steep, very, very challenging at altitude. Good for you. That's awesome. (laughs) I guess I had some adventure before I lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciated it. Now, how can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to learn more about your speaking, your motivational speaking, about the books that you have out there, about other projects you have in the works? How can they find you? www.paulamoldenhauer, and I'll spell that one, M-O-L-D-E-N-H-A-U-E-R. Dot com, PaulaMoldenhauer.com. And if you want to email me, it's simply Paula at PaulaMoldenhauer.com. And I'd, I'd love to come and speak anywhere and everywhere. Take me all over the world. Let's have an adventure speaking. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, listeners, thank you very much for your time today. And as always, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. Hey, come be a guest on our show. All you need to do is go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the Contact Us button. 